welcome to my podcast. My name is Anne Lister and this is The Tale of Geoffrey, which is my retelling in English of a story from the 13th century, originally written in Occitan. Originally told, I should say, because we don't know how it was first performed. So now we've reached episode nine. And in this episode, you will hear how Geoffrey finally, finally manages to find his way back to Brunesan and declare his love for her. So hold on to your hats. You'll notice there's quite a bit of poetry in this episode or these episodes. And the reason for that is that within the story, the original creator of the story has put in a number of almost troubadour style lyrics, very beautifully written. And I've tried to do my best by them in the English. You'll also hear in uh, the chapter where Geoffrey declares his love, there is a setting of the love poem by David Yardley. So a very beautiful love song that is Geoffrey's love song to Brunesan. So sit back and enjoy. And yeah, here we go. Episode nine. The Tale of Geoffrey, Episode 9, Chapter 13, Augier's Daughter. Now let's return to Geoffrey. He was galloping with speed. His wish to see fair Brunesan had become an urgent need. His heart and mind were full of love. He'd fallen in so deep. He'd never felt this way before. He couldn't eat or sleep. The news that Taulat had been defeated and his prisoner had been released travelled fast throughout the land. There was no more reason for the great lamentation and now joy and delight had taken the place of sadness. Everyone thought of Geoffrey as their saviour. When Augier de Sars heard the news, he saddled up and went to meet him, accompanied by his two sons. He hadn't travelled for more than half a day when he saw the maiden riding alongside Geoffrey. He didn't recognise her, he'd thought her lost. But he recognised Geoffrey immediately and dismounted, rushing towards him, running and jumping for joy. Geoffrey saw him and dismounted as well, and they embraced. My lord Geoffrey, come and stay with me as you promised. But since I saw you last, I've suffered a great loss. My daughter was carried off by a giant, and I don't know where he went or where to look for her. My heart breaks when I think about it. You didn't take much care of her, said Geoffrey, at least in my opinion. But as it's happened, I suppose we must get on with it. Who can change what fate has in store for us? As you're not likely to get her back, it's quite lucky that I managed to win this maiden with my weapons. You'll find she's just as attractive, beautiful and good as your daughter, and you can have her instead if you like. What on earth are you saying, said Augier? No woman or maiden in the world could take the place of my daughter, and nothing will heal my broken heart. Oh, I'm sure that's not true, said Geoffrey. Surely if I give you someone just as pretty and good instead? As he said that, he unveiled the maiden, and Augier recognised her. Oh, thank God, he said. Where did you find my daughter? How did you rescue her? Tell me what happened. Geoffrey told him all that had happened to the giant and to Taulat, and how he had sent the wounded knight and five hundred others to King Arthur. He told him everything, just as you've already heard. So they rode on, chatting about all manner of things, until they reached Augier's castle. Augier's sons went on ahead to make preparations, and so when they arrived there was a gathering ready to meet them, all nobly dressed and armed, and Geoffrey was escorted with full honour into the castle. He stayed there that evening. 
but I won't tell of the welcome or the feasting or the chat. It would soon become too boring and I don't like tales like that. In the morning, as soon as it was day, Geoffrey asked for his horse so that he could set off. Surely you're not leaving us so soon, said Augier. You must be tired from your adventures. Stay here a while to rest. I must go at once, said Geoffrey. I won't rest, night or day, for any reason at all, until I've returned to Montpellier. For that is where I've left my mind, my spirit and my heart, and I must find Februnissen, and so I must depart. My lord, said Augier, surely we can look after you here as well as anyone at Montbrun. Treat this place as your own. Everything I own can be yours. Please don't go. Just let me know of anything you need and I'll get it for you. My lord, you don't have to give me anything. I know you're a generous man, but if you really want to please me and give me what I want, then please don't ask me to stay here. No one could change my mind on this. In that case, my lord, I mustn't insist any more. I give up. The maiden came in, carrying a plump roasted peacock. My lord, your maiden, which is me, of course, begs you to dine before you leave, as it's all been prepared. Willingly, said Geoffrey. Well, daughter, said Augier, if you'd been the one to ask him to stay for a month or two, he would have agreed to it. No, my lord, she said, that wouldn't have happened. You always said we shouldn't ask for what we can't have, and we can't have this. If I thought my words would make him stay, I'd have done my best, but he won't stay. He's following his heart elsewhere. Geoffrey sighed. Maiden, that's true. I promise you that for as long as I live, I won't fail to serve you, and that there will be no task I won't abandon if you need me. My lord, I've already seen that you mean what you say, so thank you. Then they asked for water to wash their hands, and they dined. After eating, Geoffrey called for his horse and said his farewells before mounting his horse and leaving. Auger and his sons went with him until past midday, talking about Montbrun and how fine it was, about the ladies there, and about Brunison. They praised her good qualities, her good works, her education, her beauty, her generosity, her graceful form, her wisdom, and her great courtesy. Her only fault, said Roger, is that she will not love, and she has never cared to. If she would turn her thoughts to love, said Geoffrey, she would be perfect. It would be such a waste if she didn't love some man. They chatted as they rode on. Brunison. Brunison's seneschal came racing up to them. He had looked for Geoffrey at Carduel, where he had seen Taulat, and at the castle where the knight had been kept a prisoner for so long with five hundred others. He finally found him. When Ogier saw him coming and recognised him, he greeted him and asked him how he came to be there. The seneschal explained that he'd been looking for Geoffrey, and how he would be in serious trouble if he didn't bring him back to Montpellier. He didn't dare return without him. My lord, as you see, he's here now, said Augier. You can take him with you to Montbrun. The seneschal was delighted and went to Geoffrey, passing on warm greetings from Brunesen and from all of her people. They want to see you, my lord. Please come and visit as my lady's guest, or if not, then as my guest, the guest of her seneschal. Geoffrey sighed deeply. My lord, how can you possibly ask me to come and stay with you or with your lady? I was tormented, beaten and wounded worse than Christ on the cross when I was there before, and I didn't know why. The more I asked for mercy, the harder they hit me. 
My Lord, now we can explain it all to you. We were so unhappy about what was happening to our Lord that we wept and lamented, as you heard the other night, and we were so distraught that not even St John would have been able to stop me from killing you with my bare hands, even if you'd been my own son or brother and asked me about it. But you have freed us from that grief and brought joy back to us. You have saved our Lord and defeated Taulat, and that has made my lady so happy that she'll never be angry again. She would be happier to see you than a vision of Jesus. So please, my lord, come back to the castle with me. Go on, my lord, said Augier. Gladly, said Geoffrey, if the seneschal is willing to protect me against Brunison, to prevent her from forcing me into anything. My lord, you have my word that my lady will cause you nothing but pleasure. In that case, let's go and let's hope I have better luck there than last time. Don't worry about that, said the seneschal. I'll go ahead to let my lady know that you're on your way. You're good with words, said Geoffrey, but come back and let me know whether I can indeed go back safely and leave when I choose. Of course, Geoffrey was really ready to race to the depths of the oceans or the deepest pits of hell if he knew that Brunison was there. The seneschal set off quickly and Geoffrey followed slowly and thoughtfully, sighing from time to time as he remembered Brunison and thinking that he might die if she didn't feel the same about him. The seneschal went back to Montbrun as quickly as he could and raced to Brunison. She was astonished to see him and gave him no time to say a word before asking him where Geoffrey was. My lady, you'll see him soon. What do you mean, soon? How dare you come back to me without bringing him with you? Do you remember the exact words I made you promise, and yet you've come here without him? I should have you hanged. My lady, said the seneschal, I've done everything I can to search for this knight, and I have brought him close by. He wants your assurance that you will do him no harm if he comes or goes, and that you won't force him to do anything, and without that assurance he won't come. What, he's afraid of me? Oh, I understand. This is your idea of a joke to suggest that I'd harm him in any way. Of course I won't harm him. In that case, said the seneschal, prepare the palace and send your people out to meet him. I'll go back to him straight away to let him know. You're talking complete rubbish, said Brunison. You're not leaving here until I can be sure you're telling the truth. My lady, it's true as I stand here. I can't trust a thing you say. You swore an oath to me that you would bring the knight to me and yet you return without him. You've broken your word. I haven't, my lady. I've brought him here for you. That's what you say, but I still don't have him here. I can't see him, I can't hear him, and I don't like it. You will see him today, my lady. If you are so impatient, then saddle up and follow me. Send orders throughout the castle for all the knights to go out, finely clothed and armed. Bring a hundred of your maidens too. That'll impress Geoffrey. That's a better idea, said Brunison. She ordered her palfrey to be brought, properly saddled. She summoned one hundred of her prettiest, wisest and most gracious maidens, and they also mounted up. When the knights mounted their steeds and palfreys, the people of the castle rushed to sweep the streets and hang out silk, satin and samite to decorate the castle. There was so much bunting and so many flags, you could barely see the sky. But all of this takes time to tell and time for you to hear, and I'd rather tell of the happiness after all the grief and fear. Brunison emerged from the castle, following the seneschal and followed by her maidens and the knights. She was riding an iron-grey palfrey which trotted along so properly and lightly that it almost seemed to be flying. She was wearing oriental silk with her fine golden hair tied elegantly with a gold fillet. 
She was always beautiful, but now she was radiant. She had a hat made from peacock feathers, and in her hand she carried a lovely, sweet-scented flower. She was wondering as she rode along how to keep Geoffrey with her and how to let him know of her feelings, and she was trying to work out what she would say when she was with him and how he might reply. If he asks me to do something, of course I'll agree, but if he complains of how he was mistreated, imprisoned and threatened last time, what should I say to that? I'll have to flatter him and be as polite as possible, which normally works, and with any luck it will work with him too. Geoffrey was riding from the other direction, and he too was thinking. He thought it would be difficult to win her heart, and he was afraid she would never love him. After all, she was so beautiful, with so many good qualities, and she was of high birth and had lands and riches. He almost lost all hope. On the other hand, he thought, with all of her virtues, she must also be kind, and surely she wouldn't want to see him die for love of her. He was convinced he would die for love if she didn't feel the same way about him. The Seneschal rode up to him. My lord, Lady Brunesen is here for love of you. She came to meet you herself in order to show you honour and welcome. She deserves great thanks, said Geoffrey, and Brunesen rode up and greeted him with all courtesy. She was followed by all the other knights, ladies and damsels, and then she held out her flower to him, which he took and thanked her for it. Then they rode along side by side in the great crowd of knights, lords, ladies, maidens and townsfolk. It was such a huge crowd that they couldn't hear each other without shouting. They both found this very annoying and looked forward to reaching a quieter place. When they arrived at Montcar, Jalfe was received in high style. Brunison and her lords escorted him inside the palace, and I can assure you that there has never been such a sumptuous feast. But I won't tell of the welcome or the feasting or the chat. It would soon become too boring, and there's more to tell than that. After eating as much as they wanted, the conversation got under way. Geoffrey explained how he'd escaped from his imprisonment and how his hauberk and helmet had protected him from being seriously wounded when he was assaulted. He asked about the knight he'd injured so badly in the orchard, the one that had attacked him three times. He'll recover without any lasting damage, said the Seneschal, but in fact he was the third knight to come down to the orchard after Simon and myself, and our shields still show the damage you inflicted on us. You knocked both of us out of our saddles and shredded our clothes. I said then that you would deal the same way with all the men of Montbrun, one by one, unless we all went down together to bring you back. But I think you were frightened at that point. Yes, I was, said Geoffrey. I thought that devils had come out of hell to take me there when I saw all those armed men around me. But when they brought me upstairs and I saw my lady Brunesen, I thought I must be with God and all his angels in paradise. I stopped being afraid, and I admit now that I don't think anyone would harm me as long as the lady Brunesen is beside me. Brunesen sighed and looked at Geoffrey with a sweetness that went straight to his heart. She blushed deeply. You know how it is with love. One of love's arrows will come out of nowhere and no armour can resist it. It's impossible to see it coming or hear it, but the wound it causes can only be healed by one person. Let me tell you what I know of love and how love causes pain. Love's arrows fly quite silently and there's no way to explain why some are pierced right to the heart and others not a scratch, and some will prove unworthy and few will make a match. If I wound you and you wound me, then the mutual wounds will heal. But if my arrow misses you, you won't know how I feel. Love's wounds can hurt, love's wounds can kill. Love takes both joy and light. And oh, the fever and the hunger, 
the long, sleepless nights. As the conversation went on, Bruna Sen was only interested when Joffrey was mentioned or involved, and she found herself wondering how soon she would be able to hold him in her arms, while Joffrey felt he was dying inside at the thought that he might never be with her. At the end of the day, Bruna Sen prepared herself for bed, exhausted by the events and the heat of the day. She went up to Joffrey and spoke softly to him. My lord, you may go to sleep, and may God give you a good night and a better awakening in the morning. I'm going to my room, but I'm worried in case you decide to run away again when we're all asleep, as you did last time. My lady, I promise I will not. If you wish me to stay, I'd rather stay here for seven years than leave. That's reassuring, she said, and went to her chamber, ordering her people to make sure he had a peaceful night, as she thought he needed it. It should have been a peaceful night, and Joffrey had been given a fine, comfortable bed, but he couldn't sleep. He might as well have been given some straw on the ground. He tossed and turned and turned and tossed more than a hundred times, thinking of Brunesen and her beauty. He kept going over every word and gesture, breaking his heart at the thought that she might not love him. He wondered how he would ever be able to tell her how he felt. He decided he would have to beg her for mercy. You're no enemy of mine, but I'm your captive, bound and chained. With your beauty and your sweet, sweet self, I'll not be free again. I can no longer act alone. You have power and full control. My heart, my joy, my mind are yours, with my courage and my soul. God made you beautiful and good, and sowed love that burns and smarts. And he must make you merciful, and have pity on both our hearts. Then he thought he was a complete fool for imagining she might love him. She was rich and powerful, beautiful and intelligent. He had come from nowhere and she knew nothing about him. He should simply give up now, leave the next morning and get back on the road. Ah, oh, but if he did that, he would probably die for love of her. When I see you, my heart is full with a sweet and piercing pain. It's a torture to be away from you, thinking we might not meet again. It hurts to meet, it hurts to part. How can love be so unfair? And the worst torment of it all is wondering if you care. He was a fool to keep thinking about her. On the other hand, she had looked at him so sweetly and received him with such honour and courtesy, and that might be the beginning of love, perhaps. She had given him that lovely flower, too. Oh, but that just proved how stupid he was. Only a fool would think that a woman who spoke pleasantly to him and gave him a flower was falling in love with him. He was turning into one of those idiots who always fancied himself irresistible to women. All I have and all I need is love and love and love. More than pride, more than wealth. My heart should be enough. He might have felt better about everything if he'd known that Brunison was also sleepless and debating endlessly with herself. She prayed, although she wasn't sure whether her prayers were to God or to the God of love. She hoped she was doing the right thing. She loved Joffrey, and that seemed to be what she was supposed to do. But on the other hand, she wasn't doing anything about loving him. Was that wrong? Should she go to Joffrey and beg him to love her? Surely not. Surely it was up to the man to entreat the lady for her favours. Hadn't she heard that the man should beg her three times before she agreed to love him back? But suppose he didn't. Should she just let herself die for loving him? The overwhelming power of love meant that strange confusions could happen. Love had nothing to do with wealth or noble birth or even reason, so that a rich man might love a woman from a poor background and a distinguished lady might love a man of low birth. In which case, 
what was stopping her from going straight away to declare her love to him? Lord Joffrey, the power of love now brings me here to you to entreat, to beg, to seek, as I had never thought to do. You are the master now of all I think and feel. I'd heard how love can conquer. Now I know it's real. Do not think less of me because I'm speaking first. I need the water of your pity before I die of thirst. Some lovers kill themselves for love, and I have heard that's true, and I am lost and cannot find a pathway without you. Oh, but that was stupid. She should put herself out of this misery before saying anything like this. She wouldn't be the first woman to declare her feelings and make advances to a man. But really, what should she do? On the other hand, if she felt like this after just one night, how on earth was she going to hide her feelings? No one would have any respect for her if she just pined away for love and didn't try to help herself. And after all, anyone who behaves rationally and sensibly when they're in love isn't in love at all. So she decided if she could survive until morning, she would go to him and tell him how she felt. So in the morning at first light, she put on her clothes and shoes and went into the hall, where she roused her servants to prepare breakfast. Geoffrey too prepared to get up, and the seneschal and a hundred other knights came to serve him and help him dress. Once he had dressed, put on his shoes and washed his hands and face, he went to the church to hear Mass. When Brunison saw him come in, she almost ran to him, but she was conscious that everyone was watching, and she restrained herself. She couldn't prevent herself from blushing, however, and her flushed skin only increased her beauty. Geoffrey looked at her, still knowing what he should say to her, and wondering how long it would be before he could tell her how he felt. That was how they both heard Mass, each of them sighing deeply and thinking of the other. They went from there, full of joy, to the palace, where the festivities began. Geoffrey went to sit next to Brunison, which pleased her enormously, but he was so nervous he forgot everything he planned to say the night before. However brave he was in combat, love had taken away all of his courage, and Brunison had conquered him so completely he was totally at a loss for words. He stayed tongue-tied for a very long time. Brunison was upset that he didn't speak first. Then love gave her the bravery it had taken from Geoffrey. She spoke sweetly and charmingly. Sir Geoffrey, now you've come here, you've made us all happy. You've taken away our sorrow and pain and brought back joy. Bless the land where you were born. Bless King Arthur for sending you here. And bless your lady, wherever she may be. Thank you, my lady, he replied. Bless my lady, indeed, when I have one. That can't be true. Such a fine, brave knight. You must have a loyal lady. She has me, but I don't have her, my lady. She is not mine at all. That is the truth of it. Does she know that you are hers? I don't know, my lady. I haven't said anything. So unless she's noticed it for herself, she won't know. Well, if you don't tell her how you feel, how is she supposed to know? And if you die of love without saying anything, whose fault is it? Your own, of course. If you need something enough, you must reach out for it. That's true, my lady, but she is noble, and I don't dare ask her to love me. There's not an emperor in the world who would not be honoured by her love. She is so beautiful, so well-born, and so rich. You're talking nonsense. Kings and emperors have no better right to love than other good people. Love pays no attention to wealth. A good man with fine qualities deserves love more than someone with lands and noble birth. 
Many men from noble families are worth nothing. So don't keep your love a secret or you're a fool. You have such valour and merit that any lady, whoever she might be, would give you her love and receive you well. My lady, he said, thank you for your kind praise, which comes from your own generous nature. I wonder whether you'd be willing to help me with speaking to the one I love. My lord, I would love to help you in any way that I can. Geoffrey sighed deeply. My lady, please, I hope you mean what you're saying. Indeed, my lord, I promise I will do whatever I can to help you. My lady, there has never been a wise man or a fool who has spoken out more honestly, so please do not be cruel. I can no longer hide my love. You are my life and death. You have the power to make me live or take my final breath. You are the one I love without pretense, with no deceit. My heart is full of trust and joy and love in each heartbeat. You are my joy and happiness, my hope and comfort too. All my courage and my bravery now will be inspired by you. One word from you can make me sad or make my spirit soar. Love for you has changed me from the fool I was before. This was, of course, exactly what Brunison had hoped to hear after her sleepless night. She was, however, able to keep her feelings hidden. And instead of showing how delighted she was, she spoke softly. Well now, my lord, this is all very flattering, and it seems you're very good at this kind of thing. But of course, I don't have a quarter of that much power over you. I'm not lying, my lady. My love for you is a thousand times stronger than I've been able to say. Well, that's an easy one to test, she said. If you're telling the truth and you want to love me, you've picked well and chosen someone who will love you faithfully in return. But I'm still not convinced. Lots of men say that they're in love, but they're lying. They pretend to be true lovers, but it's just pretense. I don't think there are more than three or four men in the world who can be honest about their feelings. So I'm doing my best to make sure I don't give my love to any man unless he has promised faithfully never to leave me for another, no matter what happens. I know you're right, my lady, and there are many men out there who talk about love but don't know anything about the real thing. The trouble is then that ladies don't trust the loyal lovers when they meet them. If you want me to make a solemn promise, there is nothing you could ask me to swear that I would not agree to, and I will swear it three times over whenever you wish. Then, said Runasen, I will take you for my love and my lord, and you shall have my love. I want you to promise to marry me. That way no one can gossip about us because very often the harmful gossip is what splits couples apart. We will love each other until death do us part, the way the marriage service says, and I would like us to be married at the court of good King Arthur. Geoffrey heard her say this and sighed deeply again. My lady, this is such an easy commitment to make. In fact, the hardest part of it will be waiting for the wedding to take place. You agree then? With all my heart, I've never been asked to do anything I've wanted to do more. Then I make you lord of everything, myself, my love, my possessions, my wealth, my vassals and my rights. You have mastery over everything. My lady, all I want is you and nothing else. I didn't come here to find goods or lands or rights, but simply for your love. And that's worth more than the whole world to me but I will take on the task of guarding your land and your men in war as best I can. Only a fool would ask for more than this, said Brunesen. Brunesen told him that she would speak to her people and tell them what he'd said, but without letting them know her own feelings. 
Then she sent for the seneschal to prepare the dinner for everyone. So there we are. That's the uh, the happy ending for the love story, or is it? Because actually the story isn't over yet and more things are going to happen. And you'll hear some of those in the next episode. So again, thank you very much for listening. A little reminder that on my website at www.annlister.com, there is a virtual tip jar. There's also a blog and in that you'll find notes to go with this. So you will be able to hear more of my thinking behind how I made the adaptation. Again, many thanks to David Yardley for the beautiful music. Thanks again. Mm-hmm.